0: Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are Michael Minkoff and
1: Allison Knight,
0: your hosts for this art history themed season three. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At RenewTheArts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last five years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value to Christian artists dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps by sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. So we've talked about art history in the past.
1: Then. 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 Now?
0: Today, we're going to talk about art history now. Now! (laughs) This is art history now. (laughs) Let's try that again.
1: That was great. Oh, Les? Yeah.
0: All right, fantastic. Uh, I'm going to edit this part out.
1: Why? (laughs) Bloopers. Great. This is the episode for bloopers.
0: Is it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You've been with us this far This is far. who we really Nobody are. cares <laughs> Okay, this is episode nine. nine Of season three And we are going to try and wrap it up today We have a number of things we want to talk about Today First off, where art history is today And really where art is today and Who is uh,
1: making the history today
0: Yes, exactly Who will be remembered 50 years from now, and that's a hard question to answer, and I don't know that we are going to be able to answer it, but we're certainly going to talk about some trends and some challenges in contemporary art, and then we're going to go through, and we're going to try to explain how all the things that we've already talked about can apply to you as an artist or as a commissioner of arts today, and um, so we have a lot to talk about. Let's talk first, then... Contemporary trends. What are the trends today that you see that have a major impact on the arts?
1: Well, we've both kind of discussed digital. Art is huge. Uh, it's exploded. It, most of our art probably is digital nowadays. Uh, also, indie art, and which we can break that down because I think most people know of indie music, but indie art is its own genre. And then... We see street art. Um, We'll talk about street art and specifically the artist Banksy and eclecticism, uh, multimedia art forms, which I'll let Michael break that one down. But first, we're going to talk about digital art, and it started around 1970s. Uh, I would say, I think more so it falls under the idea of new media art. Uh, I think digital art's kind of generic, honestly, but... New media art consists of things like computer graphics or computer animation, virtual art, internet art, interactive art, computer robotics. I mean, honestly, I would even tie in there. Artificial intelligence at some point will probably start making, if not already, it's it's own art, which is fascinating. Like what is artificial intelligence? Google had
0: that Bach doodle. Yeah, Just recently where you could write in a melody and then it would create counterpoints to your melody in box style and it was completely a computer. It was just an algorithm. So
1: technology creating its own art really falls into new media art. I think a lot of new media art is actually still conceptual, but I think a lot of it too is performance and installation. Uh, But by and large, definitely still conceptual. I just went to New York City this past weekend and visited the Whitney Museum in Chelsea, and there is an exhibition right now called "Programmed," and it's it's looking at the nature of programming, um, specifically instructions within programming, and how that plays a role in modern society. And they're even more they're delving into automated systems and how the rules and instructions are traced by programs within art. Um, and how that shaped technologies and thus has shaped the images that our culture is taking in. Honestly, the whole exhibition was just a lot to take in. It's just, there's so much technology. It's just a room full of different technological devices. And there is kind of, I wouldn't say they're artificial intelligence, but there are devices that have been programmed, you know, with things like melodies or just certain coatings that thus produce an art form. Um, so they're kind of playing looking at this idea of art is expanding and it's not just humans who are creating art it's technologys creating its own art
0: and where's the boundary marker that's that's really one of the questions that yeah. AI brings up yeah um, if you look at you know classical or baroque art can mm-hmm. it be made by a computer and if it's totally based on conventions order and certain craft yeah then a computer probably could mimic those things. And the more complex and the more sophisticated those computer programs become, the closer they're going to be able to get to making those things seem almost human. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what is the value then of the human contribution in that? Where is that small sliver? What's that small percentage of work that's being done by human beings that couldn't actually be done by computers. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that's being asked right now. And some of it is not even just the voice of the individual artist. Most of what you're seeing with digital distribution and the internet and social media and interactive works and performance work is you're having more than one person who are involved in this give and take. And it's in that democratization of the arts that almost like – if a computer could mimic a human, could a computer mimic human community? Mm-hmm. And no, a, co- a computer at this point can facilitate human community, as we've seen through mm-hmm. social media and interconnectedness. But could it actually replace human community? And that's one of the few places, it seems like, where the arts are still truly human,
2: mm-hmm. where
0: where nothing has been able to replace that yet. And I don't think that it will replace that. And that's good. Um, you see that there's a trend now. I think even with crowdfunding and in digital distribution in the internet, uh, toward the involvement of communities in the making of meaning and the production of art, and I think that's probably where we're headed. Um, more, less – I think there's been an erosion of the cult of the artist as a singular individual figure of celebrity who is being – who is drawing all people into his own reality and his own experience, his own expression or her own experience, etc., now you have more of this idea of what, is, what does it mean to be human together?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What does it mean to be – what are the values that are relational values, community values, inter- interconnected values? And I think we're just starting to explore what that means mm-hmm. right now. And with social media, you're seeing some of maybe the uglier, uglier parts of community uh, being forefronted. Yeah. But that's not necessarily where it will end. Um, I think that with crowdfunding, you've seen more of the positive side of that, where people are banding together in order to support something that they believe in, and by investing in it, are actually becoming part of the process of mm-hmm. it. Um, they're becoming part of the performance of that particular piece of art by investing in it, mm-hmm. by being by by making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, And that creates communities where the community itself is producing art. And you see this with the rise of the term creative as a noun uh, rather than as an adjective. People who don't necessarily consider themselves artists but who consider themselves invested in art in in a more than just a receptive way. They feel like I'm not necessarily an artist, but I feel like I'm producing something that is generating artistic value or uh, communicating artistic value. That's a very strange thing. It's a very new thing. That hasn't been a thing in the past. I don't think that you would have heard the term creative used as a noun in even the 80s right? or the the 70s or, or certainly not hundreds of years ago. That, that idea is like, no, you're either a consumer, you're either a, a person who is a patron of the arts, or you are the artist, and there's this divide between the two. That divide is being broken down. Mm-hmm. That idea of the artist as a singular individual with extraordinary skill or gifting is not really – it doesn't have the same currency now that it did 100 years ago. And whether that's good or bad, that's just the way things are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, And that has created, I think, with the possibility of crowdfunding, which bypasses the gatekeeping institutions, you have now indie art
2: Mm -hmm. to a
0: much greater degree, meaning independent art. Art that's not made through a large, powerful, money-rich gatekeeping institution. Um, Studios, big studios even, movie studios as well as music-producing studios and any of these kinds of people – are now recognizing that a group of people with a strong vision, a strong artistic vision, even with little money, can make something of great value, and consumers have realized that as well and so you you actually see with i mean indie art began as just a an economic idea right <clears throat> I
1: kind of see indie art starting with folk art right honestly
0: yeah. Exactly. These are I don't people... think it's a
1: new concept. I no, think
0: it's... <laughs> no, no, no. It's not a new concept, but with the ease of distribution and the ease of production that's been created by all these technological advances, folk art is able to compete with uh, art made by gatekeeping institutions mm-hmm. to a much greater degree. To such a degree, in fact, that gatekeeping institutions have started to mimic indie and independent folk art
2: mm-hmm. in
0: order to try to gain some of their popularity. Mm-hmm. So you, you really are seeing—I mean, you have artists, musicians who will go into multi-million-dollar studios that have the best mics and the best outboard equipment and the best engineers, and they're saying, I want to sound like this guy who recorded his record in his bedroom on an iPhone. Like, that's what I want to sound like. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you have all of these people saying, well, you could sound way better than that. But in order to capitulate to the tastes— Right? We're going to make this sound yeah. lo-fi even though we don't have to. And uh, so that – I think there, there's a coup going on because of that. And it, it is – you see it in the desperation, I think, of large studios investing more and more in their tentpole franchises. Yeah. Um, the really, really big movies is like this is what we can do, right? I mean the death of the theater, like the movie theater – is connected to that where people are saying, even as consumers, I can have an experience at my house with my big screen TV right. and my quality sound system that rivals the experience that I have at a movie theater anyway, and I can get up in the middle of it. I can press pause on the movie. Mm-hmm. I can go and get some popcorn if I want to or talk to my wife or do whatever else I want, and I don't have to worry about like leaving my house to go mm-hmm. to the movie theater and deal with all of your stuff. And so I think you're seeing it all across the board, a democratization of the arts that is in one sense really good, has great potential, because it means that more and more obscure artists who might not have had any support and not even been able to make their art 50 years ago, now, because of the ease of distribution and the ease of production, they can make their art. And they can make it at the same kind of quality that they might have made it if they went into and actually got through the gates of mm-hmm. these gatekeeping institutions. Mm-hmm. And so that's a major change. That, that, and, and it is a, not just a major change. It is game-changing change. That changes a lot about yeah. the arts.
1: Would you say Renew the Arts is an indie form of art production?
0: For sure. Yeah, I mean, based we, on
1: its original definition and not the like commercialized, let's sound like indie art. No, no,
0: no no, 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 no. I'm saying yes, in the original idea. Um, all the artists that we work with retain rights to their work. Um, we do everything we can to facilitate the making of their work, but we usually don't even work with people unless they've already proven through a great deal of their own effort that they're committed to what they're doing. Um, because we don't have a lot of resources. So in a lot of ways, yes, we're currently in that realm by necessity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We will probably continue in that realm by choice even if our resources change. Yeah. Because I think that if a person doesn't believe in what they're doing enough to do it, even if nobody cares other than they, I, I, I think don't do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't stop. Why are you doing it? And um And so that's the artist that we're looking for anyway. The artist who would support their art by working at a grocery store, Hmm. if that's what it took, in order to do the work that they feel called to do. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that we want to come alongside and say, we love this spirit.
2: Support you.
0: We're going to try and do everything we can to facilitate the work you're making and to try to distribute it as far and wide as we possibly can.
2: Yeah, it's
0: good. Um, A second thing I think you see, and and it's a major thing, and it's also— I don't know that you would necessarily even consider it new because it's by definition not new. Is what we talked about, eclecticism. The most of the work that's being made right now, art wise, doesn't fit neatly into any mm-hmm. genre. Yeah. It oftentimes it doesn't even fit neatly into any medium, where there's so much more multimedia work, where you have um, you know music video. Right, the, mu- the idea of a music video where it's a song, that's what the real piece of work is, but there's also a video that goes along with it so you can watch something while you're listening. YouTube has made this massive where if a person has a song, they might just put it online on YouTube mm-hmm. with a static image just so people will listen to the song because multimedia is the way things are going right now. Yeah, That's not the case 20 years ago. That wasn't the case 30 years ago. Um, to the same extent, MTV, music video, et cetera, you might say that they started that idea. Mm-hmm. They had no idea how popular it was going to be. Nobody did. Nobody knew how popular that idea was going to be. Mm-hmm. And now when you add the internet to that multimedia experience and you're able to distribute it pretty much willy-nilly to anybody right. that's willing to watch it, um, you, have a, you have a very cross-pollinating and constantly changing and churning uh, art movement that is not connected closely to any particular community or any particular geography, any particular mode. and I think if you were to say, what is the major defining philosophy of this art movement that we're in the middle of right now, it seems like it's probably eclecticism or yeah. pastiche. It's a collage. Mm-hmm. It is a a—it is a bringing together of a lot of different ideas.
1: Maybe we'll coin the next art movement term. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> that would be great. We could be like, oh, well, it happened in 2019 yeah. <laughs> after the burning of Notre Dame. Uh. <laughs> right. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Two people in an obscure podcast.
1: Yeah, I. Well, we also have street art going on right now, um, which has been going on for a while. But I think it's it's booming more and more. Honestly, I mean, us living in you know Atlanta area, so much of the art within Atlanta is public. Mm. I would. Say, I mean, street art is public art, but so much of the art in Atlanta is visual art that is, you know, put on bridges and walls and um under, you know, whatever people can find to put art on honestly. But I think street art kind of has started as a negative connotation cuz typically it's just seen illegal. as yeah, it's illegal or, you know, just graffiti. Um and and that's real. I mean, but it definitely I don't know about you, but I think a lot of street art nowadays has become more of a it's Moved from a negative stance, though a lot of it is political and social commentary to a more positive stance. Um,
0: Totally accepted. Yeah. And it's accepted because, again, like we said, it it has become democratized. Right. Where the city itself, the group of people who live there are saying, we support you. Yeah. We are invested in this. yeah.
1: Yeah. I think a good example of street art, well, Banksy started as a street artist, really Um, graffiti artist and a vandalist and a social activist but now his art almost is just kind of sold privately Um, although I know there's been some selling of some of the actual walls where he's done street art
0: Um, Mm -hmm. the actual properties
1: yeah the actual properties. where the value
0: of the property goes up because because he did some graffiti on one of the walls on it it's just crazy it is
1: yeah, and he's definitely uh, he's prominent within the stenciling technique. A lot of his art um, now is more so in that medium. But he's anonymous. No one actually knows who Banksy he is. He's from England. And he also did a documentary called Exit Through, through the, the Gift, gift Shop. shop. Uh, I actually have not seen it.
0: I have, and it is really good. Nice. It is really good. Um I think it's interesting that Banksy has protected the value of his celebrity by remaining anonymous. Yeah. Which, in reference to Andy Warhol and yeah. the corrosion of celebrity through mass production, mm-hmm. really is an interesting thing because Banksy's work is stenciled, mm-hmm. meaning it is designed to be copies of copies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can make that anywhere. You take that stencil and you can put that version of it anywhere, and yet he's kind of one of a kind. hmm And Exit Through the Gift Shop is about the, I think, corrosion of the value and integrity of art through mass production and consumerism. And Banksy begins by supporting and being friends with this other guy who was very into street art and loved Banksy and wanted to be just like him
2: Hmm. and
0: ended up co-opting it for a very commercial, very gross end – And the end of the movie is just this guy, like Mr. Brainwash or something is what his street name was. And uh, he's just selling out entirely. And Banksy is critical of it, but at the same time, what can he do? Mm -hmm. And so I do think street art, um, and especially as street art becomes legal and more supported, it loses that quality that it had in the beginning of being transgressive. And a lot of artists believe that art should be transgressive, that it should cross boundaries and mm-hmm. challenge things and yeah. push people in directions they don't necessarily want to go. Banksy has certainly been doing that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done stencils on uh, the Gaza Wall or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where he's critiquing the policy of Israel toward mm-hmm. the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's actually pretty, pretty gutsy <laughs> to go up against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done that through graffiti. Right, so it's like you. This was illicit art. This was Mm -hmm. art you did not commission, that you did not allow on a space that you did not want Mm it. Um, Talking about things you'd rather be left unsaid, Mm -hmm. and so, to, to for him to see the loss of that illegality and the positive upbeat quality and the consumerism, the co opting of that rebellion. For a consumerist or a popular end is to him, I think, the loss of the value of the art and the documentaries about that. It's really good. Yeah. I I would recommend watching it as well as a series of uh, documentaries called The Art Market. Uh, I think it's four different short videos called The Art Market that also talks about this idea um, which we 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 went over in the popular mm-hmm. art, the pop art uh, episode. but Banksy is I still I think still dealing with that in fact, totally. Uh, he had his most recent stunt was at Sotheby's.
1: yeah, in October, last yeah. October, he uh, his uh, piece Balloon Girl was put up for auction uh, and it was sold for 1.4 million euros in London. And right after, you know, it was sold, an alarm sounded, and the picture frame holding the balloon girl started to drop the actual canvas, and it's shredding. Dropped
0: it through a shredder.
1: Dropped it through a shredder, and it's shredding. There was shredding. a shredder in
0: the frame yeah. that nobody knew about. it
1: years back, and in the case that it went to auction, and— the balloon girl is being shredded in the frame.
0: During the auction, During though, the auction. The person who won the auction is watching the piece they just paid a $1. 1. $1.4 million yeah. dollars for be shredded, shredded in the frame yeah. at, at sight. Like, that is just amazing. Which, <laughs> That's so amazing. And
1: the great thing is that that piece now is worth far more. Right. And the woman who bid for the piece decided to keep it. Mm. And now it's been retitled as Love is in the Bin. And So the B actually released a statement that said uh, Banksy didn't destroy an artwork in the auction. He actually mm-hmm. created one, one. Mm. Um, because this is the first artwork in history to have been created live during an auction. Interesting. Uh, so, so his rationale behind destroying it, he quoted Picasso, which I love. Uh, he said, The urge to destroy is also a creative urge, mm. um, which I think totally sums up really what this now is it it is its own art shredding the balloon girl is its art is an art um, now because of, because again cuz it's never been done
0: he's re-entering it into the transgressive exactly yeah that where i've done something that in some ways is not acceptable exactly where my graffiti has become acceptable i'm doing the next unacceptable yeah. thing yeah. i'm continuing to press those boundaries which
1: if you haven't seen it look it up because it's It's so satisfying to watch this video. (laughs) It
0: is. It is. And it's crazy to watch the reaction of the people who are there because they are losing it at first. Yeah. Yeah. And then
1: they're like, this is amazing. We got
0: got to spin this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think think his
1: Instagram video actually shows him installing the shredders into the the picture frame. (laughs) Uh, So,
0: genius. Banksy is is an interesting figure for sure. You know,
1: honestly— He's probably going to be, looking back history-wise, he will probably be one of the most prominent within what's happening now. I wouldn't wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. He'll probably be in the history books.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some contemporary challenges um, to artists and to consumers, which I hate the term consumers, to be honest. And I'm going to challenge that even in this episode. But first, let's talk about artists. I think one of the there are two major challenges for contemporary artists, and that is one to utilize the ease and the low cost of production and the lack of gatekeeping to actually make better art, mm. regardless of marketability. Yeah. Because the crazy thing is, you would think that the ease of production and the ease of distribution would mean better art is being made,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but in a lot of ways, it means that. Lazier art is being made Hmm. because you don't have to work as hard. And there's such a glut of work out there that poking through the noise is oftentimes very difficult.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: have ease of production and ease of distribution. You should be making better work. Somehow we're making worse work Hmm. because we're not working as hard. And I think one of the major challenges is utilize all of these time-saving mechanisms Mm -hmm. and work-saving mechanisms to make better things. Mm. Don't waste it. Yeah. The other thing, the second part, is that you're going to have to find a community of accountability where you can be challenged and grow because, again, the gatekeeping institutions are not going to challenge you because you can bypass them. Totally. And so you need to find a community and invest in a community that's actually going to critique you and push you. I just challenge the artists that are listening to this, take advantage of the time you live in and the space that you live in, and also plug yourself into a community of artists, a community in the church, uh, a community around you, and receive critique and be accountable, because that will protect you from a lot of the pitfalls and errors that the ease of our generation would allow you if you just... Didn't because
2: mm-hmm. you don't have
0: to. You don't have to saying yeah. you should because it will help you and it will make you make your work better. Um, in terms of consumers, the contemporary challenge that I would give to them, stop seeing yourselves as consumers. That is like just flatly what I would say. Stop seeing yourselves as consumers and see yourselves instead as commissioners. When you buy something, you're telling the people that made it, Make more things like this. And honestly, the dollar is not a very articulate way of telling them what you think about what they've made. So as far as the producer is concerned, that dollar is a 100% affirmative yes Mm -hmm. concerning that work. Make more things like this. So you have to be very careful that you don't just consume what is available. And that's very hard for us now because we we spend $10 a month on Netflix – and you might sit down one night and just be like, well, I don't got anything else to watch or blah, 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 put on this <laughs> garbage. And that's not good because Netflix is reading that as make more of this trash, make more of this garbage. So be discerning mm-hmm. and don't just consume anything that's provided to you. Recognize that you are a commissioner and that you have power over what is produced by what you support and pay for.
2: Totally.
1: I think, as commissioners, it is equally important for you to know art and history uh, and you should i think a good challenge is that you should commission people to create art that you are aware of if you know your art and you know your history, you can challenge an artist to produce a work that maybe you've you have the con you have the concept and you don't know how to produce it. Mm-hmm. And an artist could. Uh, I feel like that's me. Like I'm not a trained artist, but I have conceptual ideas all of the time. And because I'm trained in art history, and I can think of things that I think would be good commentary on what's happening within the church or what's happening within secular society or whatever, I don't have the means of producing a work like that, though. And I actually recently asked a friend who is an art, a Christian artist, to produce a work based on a biblical scene and a concept that I had been thinking about. I didn't have the means to produce it myself, but I asked her to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good challenge. Even if you're not an artist and you're a commissioner, like know, know these things and encourage artists to create good work. Even if it's your concept, I would say if there are those who are listening, you're not a trained artist, but you have good conceptual ideas, uh, Offer that to an artist, cause support them to produce a work like that and to share that with the world. Uh, and that's kind of like the body coming together, you know, totally. in, in many ways. Yeah. And so bring your giftings and flourish.
0: Also, recognize in your community that God still calls artists in and for the church, and they have gifts that you should allow them to use to serve and edify you. And this is a big deal in the church today. You might think because of the democratization of arts and the broadening of the arts and the corrosion of gatekeeping institutions that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and any person has any opinion and any opinion is as valid as any other opinion. Mm. That's flatly not true. That's flatly not true. Your opinion on art might be really bad because you might not be gifted in that. Just like your opinion on the law or architecture might be really bad because you're not gifted and skilled in those areas. God has still called and gifted people in your community in these particular areas, and you should listen to them, and you should actually support them and help them, even if what they're saying to you is not in keeping with the taste that you have already developed because it's likely, if you're not gifted in these areas, that you don't have very discerning tastes. And that might be hard to hear, and it might be painful to hear, but it's just the truth. And nobody would question that in other areas. If you needed legal advice, you would go to a lawyer. If you needed architecture done for your house or your remodeling, you would go to an architect. And there are people in your community who can help if you will humble yourself to actually listen to them And utilize their gifting and their skill in order to refine your own tastes and support things that, as we know, if art history is as important as we've said it is, it will have a huge impact into the future. Totally. And what you support right now is going to have an impact on your kids and their kids. And you need to be listening to and following after the best you possibly can in your time in order to have the greatest possible impact on the transformation of culture in the future, even if you don't have very discerning tastes. I I know that that might feel a little harsh. It might feel a little hard. But know that my heart is for the church and for the future. Yeah. There has to be a community so that artists are being benefited through that accountability and that critique and that audience and so that the audience is being benefited by this production and this creation the main problem that we see is that those two groups are separate mm-hmm. that's the main problem and it's painful for them to be brought together but that's the challenge of our time right now totally because the church is not in a position where she is making great art generally speaking mhm I mean, there are pockets where I'm sure that's an exception, whatnot, et cetera. Totally. But yeah. generally speaking, we're in a really bad state. And I think it's because there has been a separation. Artists are being pushed out of the church, and people within the church are not really learning how to value and elevate the arts as an important and valuable part of the preaching of the gospel and the communication of God's character.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, I, yeah. Definitely, both ways. It has to go both ways, and there has to be humility on both ways mm-hmm. in order for that to work.
1: It's good. Yeah, It's good. So I think in conclusion, let's hit on what we've discussed so far mm-hmm. and how that applies to artists today.
0: All right. Okay, so artists and, and potentially commissioners, and commissioners as you yeah, take totally. it. Totally. All right, so a basic takeaway from each movement, this is going to have to be a little bit of a flyby, but you have already listened to this entire season of podcasts, we hope. And so you have a, a lot more of the meat to these bones, uh, Lord willing. So classical, we talked about it. One of the major things I think that's valuable about the classical movement is their emphasis on order and convention. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're ever going to lose that. No. No. Uh, No matter what you do, even if you're anti-conventional, you still need some body of conventions in order for your language to have any meaning. Mm -hmm. You're going to break rules that doesn't have any meaning unless there are rules to break. And so conventions and order are always going to be important in the arts and you should learn them. If you are an artist, you should learn them. I don't care if you're Picasso. I don't care if you're Pollock. I don't care if you're anybody, and you're going to eventually break all the rules and do whatever you want. You still need to learn the rules first. You need to Im- imitate before you can integrate, before you yes. can innovate.
1: It's a great, yes, quote. All That's right. It's good.
0: Uh, Baroque era.
1: Broke. I would sum up broke as drama, to be honest. I think broke. Broke was definitely a breaking away of the Renaissance order and convention in the sense of the intellectual. Um, you know, classical and Renaissance art was very sterile. It was serious. You know, stoic. Broke is okay. We, let's maintain this this order and this convention, and let's make it dramatized. Let's add emotion. Let's add expression. Let's add more color. Let's. Do Add movement, da- diagonals. Yeah, complexity. You can look at a broke piece and see similarities between the Renaissance and classical arts because of their conventions, but it is its own. It's it's completely dramatized. And then you move into neoclassicism, which was, again, going back to that serious, stoic, conventional order that's full of reason, no emotion. Mm-hmm. And then there's this breaking away from that into romanticism. Mm-hmm. Again, of this emotional complexity Mm -hmm. and uh, sublimity.
0: And we talked about this in that episode. Yes. But the recovery of the idea of the sublime is a really great value. Totally. In the contemporary era, that the idea of the sublime, meaning that combination of wonder and fear, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the combination of terror and awe. Yes. Those do need to be together. I think Kincaid is Thomas Cole without terror. (laughs) I don't think that there's a lot of weight in it because it's lost that sense, that gravitas that Hmm. the sublime can bring to Mm -hmm. it. And that God himself does have, that he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is full of mercy and pleasantry. But he is also terrifying mm-hmm. and powerful and scary. And that shouldn't ever be lost in our conception of, of his revelation of his character in the world or in human beings.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so romanticism then moves and in, moved into realism, uh, which was this and impressionism, which kind of was that momentum into modernism was the start of modernism, really, though most people don't see them as modern art um, and it was this, you know, the start of authenticity and individual perception and expression. Realism was all about what is what is actually happening within life, and it's not it's not romantic. It's actually pretty brutal. And mm-hmm. we've all just come out of war, mm-hmm. and we're just all surviving. Impressionism was very much about the fleeting moment and capturing it with through the changing of light um, and. And emotion. You know, impressionism is emotional.
0: And what I would say even in those terms is if you're going to take realism and impressionism to heart, you should tell your own story.
2: Mm, Yeah.
0: That's what impressionism has a lot to do with. How do you see things? How you see things individually is actually of great value to other people, especially if you can express that accurately. Mm -hmm. And the more particular and the more concrete you are— about the way that you express your reality and your experience individually mm-hmm. the more your work is actually going to be able to connect to the yeah. other people who might watch it
1: yeah it. well and i think there's a connection with realism and impressionism to the to romanticism in the sense of it's both and you know you have you have the the suffering of life and the struggle of life and you have the pleasures of life and in many ways that's That is kind of the gospel. I think there's this like constant theme of you see these paradoxes and this flipping back and forth of Mm -hmm. emotional serious, Mm -hmm. you know, and logic. And then you have spirit filled and then you have like, where is God anyways? Mm -hmm. Nothing matters, you know. And so it's just this like really encapsulating all of life and your full experience of life Um, because life isn't always dandy and life isn't always terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing too good or too bad Last for too long. You know, it's just the constant change. And you see that that's the human experience, and that's what is it depicted within art. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different movements, but there's a lot of similar themes, mm-hmm. honestly, through all of art history. Definitely. And so we move into modernism, and, uh, you know, things start to become introspective and conceptual uh, and really kind of uprooting you know, just tradition and complete, you know, transition to avant-garde and disruption and that transgression and... um,
0: And an emphasis on audience response mm -hmm. as well. Like, so like reader response theory would not have held up into the modern era. Um, But it's a really important part of meaning. And you might say if the author doesn't have an intent and the text doesn't have a meaning inherent to it, then there is no meaning to that piece whatsoever. And so you look at Pollock and you're like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that what the reader and the audience puts into it is what's very important in the modern era. And it actually is important that there are three different arenas of meaning, what the author intends, what the text contains, and what the audience provides. And what the audience provides to the piece is an important part of the meaning of the piece. And that shouldn't be discounted merely because the author gave freedom to the audience to have various different kinds of experience with the piece at various different times. Mm -hmm. So, like, a different audience might have a different experience with a different Pollock at a different time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's actually part of apparently what Pollock intended. Yeah. For there not to be so much constraint from the author, but there to be more of a freedom to the audience to – Pour into the work what they yep. thought, yes. what they were thinking, what they were experiencing, how they were feeling in the midst of that work.
1: I would and say that's modernism and art today.
0: T- totally. T-
1: completely. So much of art today is art because of how you've interpreted it. Mm-hmm. And we've put definition on what something means regardless of what the artist's intent yeah, was.
0: exactly. Yeah. And, and you come to that with existentialism to a much greater degree where there isn't any intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. Like there's a statement like there's no intrinsic value. And so it has to be what the audience puts into it. Mm -hmm. But even if you don't like that idea as an exclusive idea, you have to recognize that all meaningful things do have that as part of their meaning. And you can't escape it. It it Mm -hmm. is a biblical truth. It is a human truth. It is an experiential truth that how people receive what is being delivered is an important part of the truth of that thing. Mm-hmm. And you can't just say, oh, I said this, I did that, that's, that's not what I meant. Well, no, it, how people receive it is an important part of what it means.
1: Yeah, I think of Georgia O'Keefe because her art is, is seen as provocative And she would deny that 100%. (laughs) But it doesn't even matter because that's how her work is interpreted now. Right. And Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we've decided what her art means, Mm -hmm. though she would completely deny that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so we've already talked about the the helpfulness or the goodness of complexity in Baroque. And so now we're actually going to talk about the simplicity of existentialism. And you might think that seems like a contradiction. Well, maybe it is. But... (laughs) The reality is that some art needs to be complex and some art needs to be simple. And depending on what you want to communicate and the kind of experience that you're wanting to provide to the person listening or reading or watching, um, sometimes you want to be more dense and other times you want to be more simple. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think existentialist art is is a great example of stating very deep things in very simple ways. Totally. I think that artists today could learn a lot from that, especially because there's no genre blocking you from doing this or that. There's no rules telling you you can't do this or can't do that. And really there isn't any production value saying that you can't do the most extro- I mean, you can do Avengers Endgame if you want, and just have like a, you know, seven billion superhero explosion fest if you really <laughs> want to do that. You can do whatever you want. You can have, you know, an interstellar battle in space if that's what you want to do. Existentialism would say, though, memento mori, remember you will die. Yes. Remember the futility oh, and the vanity of these things, and maybe draw it back into a realm of simplicity. Say as few and do as few things as necessary in order to convey the meat and the pith yeah. of what you're about. Yeah. Because you don't have much time. Right. And what you do probably won't last anyway. And certainly the ornateness and the rococoness of it <laughs> is going to decay. hmm <laughs> So... At the point of existentialism, you have a breaking away where the fine artist and the artist believes that he has his own self-expression and that's really important. And the audience is like, I don't relate to that. And the, and the artist says, I don't care. Pop art is where that is rejected. Yeah. The popular artist says, what I care about is serving the audience, entertaining them, giving them pleasure, giving them a good time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to reject that. I'm not. As an artist, you shouldn't be so like full of yourself that you don't think it's important to please an audience. It is important. You should take that into account. How is my audience going to receive this and is it going to be a good time for them? Is it going to be interesting? Is it going to be fun? Is it going to be engaging? And you shouldn't just be like, it doesn't matter. They don't understand because they're dumb. Well, no, that's, that's bad. You're dumb. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's not good on your part. You shouldn't do that. And so pop art, I think, does teach us, um, sometimes in a backhanded way, that the pleasure and the engagement and the edification of an audience is important. And we should be about that. We should be humble. We should be service-minded. We should be servants. Mm-hmm. We are servants. Artists are servants. You are not gods, yeah, and you should not act like that, and you shouldn't treat an audience like that. Mm -hmm. If they want to be entertained, there's nothing massively wrong with that. And Jesus was able to tell profound, powerful truths in entertaining ways.
1: Yeah. To kind of close, my encouragement is that artists study and study historical works of art. Understand the artists and their intentions and what they are working with within their context. How do you apply art history? Um, like Dr. Sachs said, if you want to be a master, study the masters. Apply what they did to your work. It doesn't have to be exact, you don't have to, you know, replicate what they've done, but there is always a familiarity with artists that have come before us. And so Maintain that familiarity, I think, within your work. If you want to take, you know, these key phrases like order, convention, drama, emotional complexity, sublime, audience response. You know, if you want to just encapsulate that in your work, go for it. Or, you know, I think if there's a specific era that really sticks out to you, that is your in the season of life you're in, and you're feeling drawn to produce art in that way, do that. Yeah. Study artists from... The time period that you feel connected to and invent your own art that is a window into the past and also a window into what's current and what could come. So I think there's so much freedom, you know, there is. and there's there's so much freedom. And these are like art history is a resource to you to better your art. Uh, you wouldn't be where you are today artistically without art history.
0: Even if you don't know it.
1: Even if you don't know it. I mean, it's completely transformed our culture, and it's continuing to shape it, um, and our culture's continuing to respond to it. So, yeah, I think, you know, is art history for everyone? No, but I think it's very important for artists to be aware of, and I think the church has so much to learn from art history uh, because the church commissioned so much of art, and unfortunately today isn't. And so...
0: Art really does impact history. Mm -hmm. It impacts history by shaping and also by responding to what particular cultures love and value. Because people, when they look back at history, they're more likely to remember a piece of art and to engage with a piece of art from history than they are with any other thing. And that's because even in the present time, people are more likely to engage with a piece of Mm -hmm. art than they are with any other thing. yeah. And so art has this massive impact and this massive importance. And I do believe that the church might be awakening to this reality right now again. And we hope this season has helped increase your appreciation for the arts of all genres and media. We hope that you appreciate things that maybe you didn't appreciate before or at least are interested in appreciating things mm-hmm. that you weren't interested in before And we hope that it's informed and inspired you to invest even more wisely in the beauty God continues to share with us through the arts. And it's been a real pleasure to go over these things. Yeah. And to have Allison on board with her art history brain.
1: Thanks for having me, everyone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the next episode is our mailbag. We have already gotten questions. It's too late for all of you. And we are going to (laughs) be recording that and putting that out uh, here very soon. We really thank you all for listening to this podcast and for investing in it, and we hope that it's been of great benefit to you. Blessings. Thanks. Okay, we're going to close with, because this is art history today, this is art history now, we are (laughs) going to play Before the Silver Tether Breaks, which is a song that Phil Hodges wrote and composed. I wrote the lyrics to it, and I even played drums on this. And um, this is our little band called Physic little band, and it's on our record, Death is Their Shepherd, so we hope you enjoy it.